Hey, before we get started, can we give it up for that worship team one more time? Man, that was, it is, it's always such a gift to come and teach at a church and just to be refreshed by the worship team and the heart of worship that a congregation carries. Well, again, my name is Austin, and I have the honor um, of teaching here this morning. And I don't say um, that I have the honor of teaching here lightly. I, I really do have the honor of teaching here, and I, I kind of consider this uh, a weighty responsibility to stand and teach in the place that, you know, Taka and his families and others have been kind of teaching and preaching and laboring from for years. In fact, it was about five or six years ago. I was doing some some interim pastoring work at churches, and I was kind of considering church planting myself, and um, had some folks say, hey, come and kind of just peek into this cohort that we have going on, and kind of see what, you know, church planting assessment is all about, and so um, I showed up to this church planting assessment um, and met Taka for the first time, and it was this moment in which churches were sharing their vision for the church, and so this was, gosh, six or seven years ago before Voice Church had really been planted. And I heard him casting the vision for Voice Church with such clarity and with such conviction. And I just thought, dude, I'm in the presence of a stud right now. Um, and so to be here six or seven years later and kind of firsthand getting to witness God's faithfulness amidst this congregation. You know, because of things like Instagram, I've been able to follow the story. And because of my friendship with Matt, I've been able to follow the story a bit from y'all's time with the, the Irvine Company kind of across the street, through shutdown, through opening this space. And so to be here in person teaching and just to kind of be in this space in which God has been working and moving for years, it is a tremendous honor. And planting a church is no simple, easy, or light thing. It's a heavy weight to carry, and to be a family that plants a church, it is immense, immense sacrifice. And so even as Taka and his family are not here, can we just show them honor um, for the past six or seven years of being faithful to God's call, gathering this amazing congregation, and continuing to invite people into the life of this church? And so whether you've been here since the beginning, for the past three years, for the past 30 minutes like myself, uh, this is simply a Christ collective, meaning it's a group of folks that gather under the banner of Christ, single and married, young and old, some native Californians and some transplant. Californians. But this is a diverse, you can just look around the room, this is a diverse group of people. It's a Christ collective who wants to live by faith. In fact, when we come to the scriptures, we find that the only thing that pleases God is faith. See, I mean, it's impossible to please God without faith. The righteous will not live by what they do, the righteous will live by faith. So this is a diverse collective of people that want to live by faith and be known by their love. This is what Jesus says often, right? He says, man, the world around you, the people in your home, the people in your school, the people in your workplace, they will know you are my disciple by the way you love one another. 
And so this church is always practicing, loving each other with the hope that they become a voice of hope to the world. I love what Jesus always says at the end of the Gospels. Hey, now go out and teach. Go out and preach. Go out and make disciples. Go be a voice of hope to the world. And I think it's the Gospel of Mark. He says, go proclaim the Gospel to all of creation. And so this church, as they seek to live by faith and as they seek to be known by their love, this church also wants to be a voice of hope to the world around them. And so this morning, I have the honor of being here, and we're going to do a one-off teaching in the, the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is really about the Spirit's work amongst God's people. And I'm kind of a, a global church calendar guy. I love seasons like Advent that takes us up to Christmas. I love seasons like Lent that take us up to Holy Week. And for some of us, we're, we're kind of familiar with those seasons of the church calendar. But there's other seasons as well. There's a season of Epiphany, which kind of is nestled in there between Advent and Lent. After Holy Week and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, there's about 40 days of celebrating and remembering the resurrection of Christ. That kind of culminates in this, this Sunday of Ascension, which the church remembers Christ ascending to the Father. And then there's about 49 to 50 days of remembering the Holy Spirit descending, filling, and empowering the church. If you were to look at the, the global church calendar, the, the church is kind of in that season right now. A season of remembering the Holy Spirit's work, not just amongst us as individuals, but amongst congregations. Not just congregations in Tustin and Orange County, but congregations around the world. And so we're going to look at what Paul thinks about when he thinks about the Holy Spirit's activity amongst Congregation. So we'll be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and when Paul writes, he makes it kind of clear towards the beginning of the book why he's writing. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 13. This is kind of a summary of the entire book of Ephesians. Verse 11 says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles. Gentiles is essentially just meaning you're a non-Israelite. You're not Jewish. I'm looking in the room. I think most of us kind of fall in that category of Gentile, non-Israelite. He says, in our, uh, he says um, I want to make it clear, uh, therefore, remember that you who are Gentiles, non-Israelites by birth, remember that at that time, when you were born a Gentile, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. To be excluded from the commonwealth of Israel is like saying, you're just missing out on the benefits of being, you know, a, a citizen of Israel. Be the same way as, you know, if you're an American citizen, there's, there's benefits that come with being an American citizen. It's like the commonwealth of America, right? So he says, I mean, if you're born Gentile, you were born separate from Christ, excluded from the benefits of being a part of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise. The covenants of the promise is this promise that God would bless the world that there will be a better place because of God's people. That if you were a Gentile, he says, you were without hope and without God in the world. In verse 13, but look at this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
the blood of Christ has done a really unique people amongst folks that are not Jewish, that are not the nation of Israel, amongst folks that are Gentiles. Therefore, people that were born Gentiles, because of the blood of Christ, they've now been united with Christ, included in the commonwealth of Israel, family to the covenants of the promise. They now live with hope and with God in the world. This is Paul's big kind of thesis in the book of Ephesians, that God was not just bringing Israel close, God was bringing Israel close and the Gentiles close. And everybody was going to be able to be recipients, participants, and dispenser, dispensers of the blessings and promises of God. And so this week will be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to about 20. And we're going to look at three things. So if you have your physical Bible or your smartphone tablet, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through about 20. We're going to look at three things. We're going we're to see that God invites entire households into his presence and in his promises. That Christ inhabits hearts with his presence and with his promises. And that the Holy Spirit increases our hope and trust in God's presence and promises. So God invites households into his presence. Christ inhabits the hearts of, uh, of, of folks that have come near him, and the Holy Spirit increases hope for his promises. But, you know, I want to I wanna start with this. I'm one of those rare breeds that uh, throughout the year, I love wedding season. I love being invited to and going to weddings. The fact that these two people have decided to commit their lives together and start a family together is just one of the most amazing things on the face of the planet. And one of the things I love about weddings so much is that when you go, it's not just a family event, right? Like a Thanksgiving. A Thanksgiving is a family event. When you go to Thanksgiving, it's just the family. And it's not just a friend's event. A friend's event is like a um, a New Year's Eve, right? Family's not there. This is a friend's thing. A wedding is a, man, it is an extended family and friends thing. I was just at my buddy's wedding back in May. And I love it because we went to school together. So kind of all the folks in our dorm are kind of invited. And this is just an example. And this kind of spread amongst all of us, right, is um, one of our close friends was there and stood in the wedding. And it was like, it was great to see him. But not only was he invited, his parents were invited. And so his parents came. But not only were his parents invited, uh, my friend's sister, his parents' daughter was invited. And not only was she invited, her husband was invited. And not only was the husband invited, their kids were invited. And so you begin to look around the room, and it's not just your friends, and it's not just his family, but all of these families are being invited to share in this celebration and the joy of these two folks getting married. Weddings are a, a household is invited kind of event. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 3, something similar to this is happening. This is Ephesians 3 verse 14. Uh, Paul's reflecting on this idea that not only is Israel being drawn close, but the Gentiles are being drawn close. And in verse 14, he just kind of erupts into this kind of, this moment of doxology, this moment of praise in which he says, man, it's because of this reason 
that God is bringing everybody close. It's for this reason that I actually, I stand back and I, I kneel before the Father. I humble myself before the Father because this is such a mar- marvelous, magnificent thing that is happening. Verse 15, he continues. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is an immense acknowledgement of Paul. Paul is thoroughly Jewish, and if you were thoroughly Jewish, kind of from that mindset, God was only concerned with the families of Israel, and the rest were simply just pagans. That could be disregarded. But Paul, as he sees what God is doing, he says he kneels before the Father because he's, he's learning and he's recognizing that in Christ, it's not just the families of Israel, it's the families of all of the world that God is drawing close and every family God sees and God cares about and God wants to bring near. Uh, this idea of being amazed when you begin to see something up close reminds me of my, my neighbors. Just a few weeks ago, they went to the Grand Canyon and uh, they came back and they told a similar story. Some of you have experienced if you've been to the Grand Canyon um, or if you have friends or family that have gone to the Grand Canyon. They would just say, dude, pictures do not do the Grand Canyon justice. Like, dude, when you actually see that thing in person, you've seen the photos, you know, in a book or online, but when you see it in person, your jaw drops because it's amazing when you see it in person. This is a jaw-dropping moment for Paul. Paul, throughout his whole life, he has this moment in one of his letters where he kind of gives his credentials. And he says, man, he's one of the best trained religious elites. Learned from the best rabbis. And so he'd read passages in Isaiah and in Micah where it talks about how all of the nations will stream to the temple how all of the nations will stream to the mountain of God, but he hadn't seen it. He'd only been to the temple in Israel in which Jewish families and Israelite families were coming to worship. But now Paul's kind of out in Asia Minor amongst a lot of Gentiles, a lot of folks that were not native Israelites, and he's planting these churches, and the people that are showing up probably looks a lot like this room, diverse with all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of family history. And he's looking at a room like this and his jaw is dropping because he is seeing firsthand God making good on his promises. That God isn't just inviting Israel, he's inviting the Gentiles as well. In this kind of moment in which he plants churches that look a lot like this, it leaves him in amazement humbles him, causes him to bow before the Father. And in fact, when Paul talks about these, these families gathering together that God is drawing near to him, it really can't be understated how important that the household family is to God. Here's just a really 
quick, brief overview of how important the household is to God. Uh, when we're, you know, far back is the Torah in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is teaching the law and he's recounting the promises of God to Israel, he doesn't say, bring the adults and leave the kids at home. He says, man, gather the husbands, gather the wives, gather the fathers, gather the mothers, gather the kids, and come and listen to God's law and God's promises. Moses gathers the whole household together. In Joel, when he prophesies about the Holy Spirit filling the church, he prophesies that the Holy Spirit will fill not just individuals, he uses family language. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your husbands and your wives, your fathers and your mothers, they'll prophesy. In Matthew, entire families are gathered around Jesus, hearing from Jesus. And we know this to be true because at one point as he's teaching, these rambunctious kids run up to Jesus. And the disciples start rebuking them, saying, dude, get away. This is, this is serious business right here. And then Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, no, 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 no. Let the kids come to me because the kingdom belongs to such as these. And so when we imagine people gathered around Jesus listening to his teachings, we should imagine the entire family around the teachings of Jesus. We get to Acts chapter 2, and the folks are gathered in the upper room. Again, when you read the list of people that are in that room in Acts chapter 1, it's the men and the women. It's the husbands and the wives. And guess what? If the husbands and the wives are there, kids are there too. In Ephesians and Colossians, when Paul is addressing these churches, he addresses the kids directly with imperative commands. He says, man, husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Kids, honor your parents. He doesn't say, hey, parents, go home and tell your kids to, to honor you. He just addresses them because they're there. In other words, in all the text, from Genesis all the way to the end, God has a deep concern for the household. A deep concern for families. And this is why, you know, attending church as a family is, it's such a gift. Such a gift for husbands and wives, fathers and mothers to bring their kids and maybe even their, their kids, grandparents, their parents to come as a family unit to worship together, to hear God's word together. Because for thousands of years, households and families have been gathering together to hear God's word. And here Paul sees that Every family gets its name from the Father, and now God is inviting all the households and families of the earth to come into worship Him. So the question is, what do you need to do in your household to bring more Bible reading to your family, more worship, more teaching? Because the reality is that God invites not just people, God invites households and families into his presence and into his promises. That's point number one. Paul continues in verses 16 to 19, and we see that Christ inhabits hearts with his presence and with his promises. So he continues after kind of kneeling before the Father and saying, dude, this whole God thing, this Jesus thing is immense. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
out of the storehouse of God, watch this, that he might strengthen you. God doesn't seek to diminish you or to make you weak, but he seeks to strengthen you with power. How? Through his Holy Spirit. Where? In your inner being. You know, I, I went to a university called Oral Roberts University um, in Oklahoma. And so there was, a, there was a moment in my life where I kind of was a part of a charismatic Pentecostal group of folks. They love using the word the inner man, right? And they, for the women, the inner women, right? Um, and Paul says that the Holy Spirit actually strengthens our inner man. For you women, strengthens your inner woman. Why? That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. I was, um, was at my house at one point, this 10, 15 years ago, and um, a gentleman's working in our bathroom upstairs. Yeah, I think he's working on the, the floor or whatnot. And uh, I'm hanging out in the living room, and all of a sudden I see a, I see a foot come straight through the ceiling. <laughs> Because he'd been working on the floor, and there was, I guess, I'm not a house person. What's the, what's the top of the floor? The sheetrock. Anyway, it wasn't super strong. And this guy's foot kind of falls through because he hadn't quite built it out to be strong enough yet. He hadn't reinforced the space to put some weight on it. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen our inner man that as Christ comes in, he's got a place to dwell, a place to be, a place to rest. So Christ wants to dwell in our hearts through faith. Second half of verse 17. And I pray that you'd be rooted. I pray that you'd be grounded. I pray that you'd be established in love. This is a church that wants to be known by its love. And that you might have power together with who? With all of the Lord's people, families and households gathered together as one big, beautiful house of God, that together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's interesting that for Paul, we need to be empowered to be able to grasp the faithfulness of Christ. Verse 19, that you may grasp all of this and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled, watch this, filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Uh, this whole moment is about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, strengthening our inner being, men, your inner man, women, your inner woman, that Christ might dwell in our hearts, that we might be able to comprehend the faithfulness of Christ, that ascends even be ab above knowledge, that we might be filled with all of the fullness of God. You know, um, when I think about this kind of strengthening, uh, recently one of my hobbies has kind of been like health and nutrition and fitness and whatnot. And my, my IG algorithm on my Discover feed keeps feeding me stuff about fitness, right? And first it's all these people talking about all these new, you know, exercises that you can do. Lifting weights or running or hit exercises, et cetera. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is, uh, I can do some of this to strengthen my outer man, right? And then once I start watching those, it starts feeding me some of this nutrition stuff. Hey, you should eat this and not that and organic and not McDonald's and, you know, that, that whole deal. 
So, okay, if I can eat right, I can strengthen my, my outer man. It's like, hey, you can't just exercise. You can't just eat right. You got you to gotta sleep right. You need lots of sleep. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm exercising now. I'm trying to eat right. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to sleep right. I'm trying to, you know, strengthen my outer man. And then I start getting these things about, hey, you got to ground yourself. If you know what grounding is, you know. If you don't, you don't. It's essentially walking around in the grass with your shoes off. But uh, it's like pseudoscience kind of stuff. So you got to eat right. You got to sleep right. You got to exercise right. And sometimes walk around the grass with your shoes off. In other words, there's, you know, there's things that can be done to strengthen our outer man. And Paul says, man, there are also things you can do to strengthen your inner man, your inner being. And I I just want to be really clear. The Bible says in all kinds of spaces that, you know, strengthening our outer man, right, is important. Moses says to love God with all of your strength. David says that when he's empowered by the Spirit of God, he's able to leap over a wall. Daniel and his friends become some of the fittest people in the kingdom because they're eating a bunch of vegetables. However, Paul says there's a great work that can be done internally to strengthen our faith. We strengthen our faith, our inner person, our inner being through prayer, through worship, through Bible reading, through Christian community. I, I had a pastor friend, and he was telling a story about you know, his grandma. And he, he caught his grandma praying at one point. And he was kind of eavesdropping on her prayers. Uh, this pastor said that his grandma was praying things like um, these, these prayers of healing. God, would you heal me? God, would you restore me? God, et cetera, et cetera. My pastor friend is like, I didn't know our grandma was sick, right? So she's done praying, and he kind of goes up to her and says, hey, grandma, are you, how's your health? Are you okay? And she says, dude, I'm great. Why do you ask? Well, I mean, I don't mean to pry, but I heard you praying prayers to, like, be healed, be restored, et cetera. And their grandma said, oh, I'm just building my faith for when I need it. I'm praying those prayers now, Lord, you heal me, Lord, you restore me, Lord, you make me whole from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm praying those prayers right now so that when I'm actually sick and when I actually need that faith, I've strengthened that muscle to have faith in God's promises. She was strengthening her inner woman through the power of the Holy Spirit simply by meditating and praying on God's promises. So in a sense, there's an element of we ought to pray with desperation before we are actually desperate. We ought to worship like we are in a storm before the storm actually hits. We ought to feast on God's word before we are starving for it. We ought to continue to faithfully and regularly gather with Christian community before we are lonely and isolated. In other words, we ought to be strengthening our inner being through the power of the Holy Spirit before we even need it. So as you go into this week and you seek for the Holy Spirit to strengthen your inner man, that Christ might dwell in your heart, that you might be filled with the fullness of God, that you might encounter the presence and the promises of God, what do you need to bolster this week? More scripture reading, more worship, more prayer, more Christian community. Do not neglect the strengthening 
of your inner man, your inner woman, because it's, it's, it's through that filling of the Holy Spirit that we encounter the presence of God and the promises of God. So that's point number three. God inhabits hearts with his presence and with his promises. And this is the final point, verses 20 and 21. The Holy Spirit increases our hope for his presence and promises. The beginning of this section in verse 14 erupts with Paul in a bit of doxology. He says, man, I kneel before the Father because of this marvelous thing that is happening. He's calling all the families of the earth to worship him. And then this section closes again with another eruption of doxology in which he says, now to him who is able, able not to do a little bit, able not to do just barely enough, but able to do immeasurably more, beyond measure, than all we could ask, all we could think, all we can imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. And now to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And when we're, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we begin to have more trust, more hope for the presence of God in our lives, for the power of God in our lives, for His promises to come true in our lives. Paul says, because God can do immeasurably more than whatever you're thinking about, and whatever you're praying about, and whatever you're asking for, He can do immeasurably more. You know, right now I've got this kind of stubborn cough kind of been, feel great, stubborn cough been lingering with me. And part of my IG algorithm is I've got this new, like, you know, home remedy I'm making. And it includes some cayenne pepper, it includes some garlic, it includes some ginger, so all these kinds of Some of you are like, dude, I'm taking it too. Um, but there's like measurements to all of it, right? So that you put the hot water in the cup and it's like uh, just a quarter of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper because, dude, that, that, it's spicy. It's hot, so you don't want too much of it. So just a quarter, so I'm real careful about level scoop. Um, and then a quarter of a teaspoon of garlic. And you know you don't want more than that because nobody wants to be smelling like garlic all day, right? So it's like a nice level scoop of garlic. Um, and then just a, a hint of lemon juice in there. So like a, a little hint of lemon juice because that stuff is real acidic and you get too much lemon and it's hard to drink. And then it's just like, you know, a teaspoon of honey. Or I think it's like a tablespoon. And so like I get the honey in my tablespoon and I fill it up nice and even, one tablespoon, and I pour, I'm measuring everything perfectly, and I pour that honey in, and then I think to myself, well, two tablespoons of honey is not going to hurt, right? So I fill up another tablespoon, and I think, I mean, honey never really hurt anybody, did it? And then I have, like, I have my elf moment, right? Elf, that old, that Christmas show where he, he makes the big pops just a ton of sugar, 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 sugar. Dude, I just get that thing of honey. I just start just pouring. I don't want to measure. I just want to pour it in this little hot water drink I got going on. When Paul talks about God pouring out his spirit on his people, God doesn't want to measure out how much he gives to you. He doesn't want to measure out just enough joy to keep you barely happy. He doesn't want to measure out just enough of your spirit to give you a little bit of authority. He doesn't want to measure out, you know, just enough Christian community to barely keep you coming back to church. God is a, I don't want to measure, I just want to keep pouring kind of God 
immeasurably more than you could ask, think, or imagine. God wants to be the elf God, just pouring it lavishly, extravagantly on you. Extravagant joy, extravagant peace, extravagant goodness, extravagant blessing. So Paul wants the church in Ephesus to know specifically that as he's uniting this church to Christ, he wants to do it above their expectations. As he's including these churches into the commonwealth of Israel, he wants to do it above their expectation. As he makes them families and these covenants of promise, as he gives them hope, as he gives them God in this world, he wants to do it above their expectations immeasurably more. And this isn't just a Paul thing. This is like a Jesus thing, right? In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he's talking to his disciples. He says, dude, fear not. It pleases God. It brings him great joy to give you the kingdom. In Luke 6, verse 32, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and then pouring over and running over in your lap more than the measure. In Luke eleven thirteen, in Matthew seven eleven, he says, if you then, he's talking to, you know, folks like me, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give you good gifts? How much more will he give you the Holy Spirit to those that come before him? In other words, this becomes a great spiritual discipline of ours to approach God not as this God that wants to be stingy, but to approach God as Father and to come as children that can ask boldly, it can ask persistently, trusting his goodness that he wants to give us immeasurably more. So one of my questions for you today is, when you worship and when you pray and you gather with God's people, do you expect God to be stingy or do you expect him to be, I don't want to measure, I just want to keep pouring kind of God? When we encounter the Holy Spirit, it increases our hope and our trust in his presence and his promises. So I want to invite the, the worship team back up as we close. And I just, wanna, I, just I, wanna, I wanna pray this whole thing over us. That this would be true of our lives, that our families, not just us as individuals, but our families would be filled with the spirit and the presence of God, that God's promises would show up in our families, and that Christ would dwell deeply and strongly in our hearts, making our hearts, as the text would say at times, like his kind of home, that he'd tabernacle with us a little bit, and that the Holy Spirit would fill us with the full measure of God, that the Holy Spirit would immeasurably fill us that we might encounter the presence and the promises of God and so God we pause for a moment and we just ask you that as we as we come into worship 
God, would you, um, would you invite our families, our entire families, our grandparents, our parents, our siblings, our sons and daughters, our nieces and nephews, would you invite our entire families into your presence and into your promises? Would you make our our households places in which your presence dwells and so that as we read your word together and as we pray together and even as we worship together, our families would be drawn closer and closer to you. And that God, as we do that, you would just begin to dwell in our hearts, filling us with the full measure, the fullness of God, empowering husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, grandparents, nieces and nephews, empowering them to be able to comprehend how great the faithfulness of Christ is, that he's drawn us all into his presence. And finally, God, that you would do immeasurably more in our lives. That God, for every person, every family here, whatever they're praying for, would you do immeasurably more? Whatever they're hoping for, would you immeasurably more? Whatever they're trusting you for, would you do immeasurably more? Would you prove yourself to be a God that doesn't want to measure, but just wants to keep pouring your goodness, your presence, and your spirit on us. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, church, as we as we continue to worship together, can we stand together and sing this morning? <clears throat>